0: If you like to uh, turn in the, in the scriptures to our reading uh, this morning from Acts chapter two, and uh, look at that, there's a two-part series um, today on the Apostle Peter's uh, message on the Day of Pentecost, and uh, I want to say it's a it's a great privilege to be able to even invited to uh, speak. Um, at, a, at this church at the 45th anniversary of Leamington Baptist Church and uh, it's a great privilege uh, to be here and I thank God for that opportunity uh, to share with you and rejoice with you at 45 years of God's faithfulness to the work here um, and, and God's people uh, who've remained faithful to him uh, in the work here at uh, Rose City Baptist Church and uh, at uh, Leamington Baptist Church Cause I, We've just had our 50th down there, and I'm still going with that one at uh, Rose City. So um, no, but it's, um, so on behalf of Rose City Baptist Church, uh, we all send our greetings and well wishes uh, to you as you celebrate your 50th. That's your 45th, uh, sorry, <laughs> anniversary. Um, I've chosen to uh, to preach uh, on the occasion of your church anniversary here, uh, the sermon of the Apostle Peter. Because it's the birthday uh, of the church, church started there where the Holy Spirit came and dwelt. the uh, church there on the, and uh, permanently indwelt uh, the, the people of God on the day of Pentecost. And so um, uh, it's fitting uh, that I believe that uh, we should do that because you see it was the message that uh, God laid on the Apostle Peter's heart, wasn't it? On the birthday of the church, the emphasis was on preaching. The emphasis was on the Apostle Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. Um, and that is a reminder to us that preaching must always and only be the centrality of the, of, of, of the ministry of the local church. If it wasn't for the preaching of God's word, uh, people can't be saved. They must hear the word of God and be saved. And so the centrality of preaching is very, very important. And so uh, with that in mind there... Um, the, uh, the, today we'd like to look at the importance of the preaching of the Word of God through the message that, uh, that was first mentioned. You know, it wasn't... Uh, these days sometimes you can occasionally have a, uh, a Christian movie on a Sunday night or something like that. Some churches uh, uh, do that from time to time. But, you know, or have a sharing time. But, see, uh, that should be a rare occasion, really. It must be the preaching of God's Word uh, in all services of the local church. And... Um, Uh, And it's the basis of God's people, otherwise I'll be a weak people. Mm -hmm. The Word of God must be um, undertaken there and preached. And so I thank uh, God for Levington Baptist Church and the fact that Levington Baptist Church uh, have survived that long because you people have had the preaching of the Word of God. Mm -hmm. Pastor Jacob has preached to you uh, all those years and others in the church here have preached to you over the years. So... um, We're going to be looking today at the importance of preaching. So Peter there in Acts chapter um, 2 is given a glorious opportunity to preach the word of God uh, by lifting up his voice uh, to a huge crowd of well over 3,000 people that were, were present there. And uh, the word of God was very effective because the word of God had been laid down for, uh, uh, for, for years and years prior to this uh, through Old Testament history and then through to the Jews. The Jewish people were prepared uh, for, they knew the word of God. Revivals around the world have relied upon uh, the heritage of the preaching of the word of God. And when people try to close the mouths of God's people, uh, God then can act. And he, he has and he does do that because the preaching of the word must not be muffled. And uh, God's people uh, should be, uh, have the liberty before God to be bold and to preach the word of God. And so there were revivals back through the generations because the word of God was sown uh, through generations of people and they knew the word of God and they were taught it. And it's an important thing. And so uh, 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 Peter's saying, well, if I'm here, I'll bring a word to you all. And he basically is saying that uh, through um, from verse um, some verse uh, say fourteen onwards, he stands up with the eleven, lifted up his voice, and said, "Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. And this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And so there was this uh, unusual event." Where the Spirit of God had come down on the day of Pentecost and it had, and, and it had indwelled uh, those one hundred and twenty believers in that upper room who were waiting uh, for the promise of the Father to come to, to there and they were waiting upon that and, they were, and, and and the promise of God which had had been promised to occur uh, on that day occurred, and uh, the people started to uh, witness to others. And it was an unusual situation. It was a unique, one-off situation, and uh, the people in the in in the city of Jerusalem uh, didn't know what was actually what was going on, and they're saying, oh, these people must be drunk or something like that," and they were wondering about this occasion. They'd forgotten or didn't understand uh, the purpose and the historical, prophetical event that it was that had just occurred, and so the first point. This morning is the fact that there was a word given. It was a word of explanation to the people there in Jerusalem. They needed explaining to them what had actually happened that day. What had actually happened there in Jerusalem. And Peter stands up and said, well, this is that. In verse 16. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. This is the explanation for what has just happened. This is what explains the events that are occurring in that time, at least partially. And then he quotes from uh, the Old Testament, the prophet Joel, in Acts chapter 2, verses 17 to 21. And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour it out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those d- days of my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, uh, blood and fire and vaporous smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood uh, before that great and terrible day of the Lord come. This is called, this time is called the day of the Lord. And in many, many ways... Uh, Peter is quoting from a period called the tribulation period there. And during the time Israel will turn to the Lord and the Spirit of God will be poured out upon them. And see in Joel's prophecy, if you like to turn back to Joel chapter 2 today. Would you have a quick look at this? In Joel chapter 2 and verse, verse 16. Yes. And this prophecy is divided into two parts. We're going to start with verse 28. And it says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your younger men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. And it's a reference there uh, to Pentecost. It parallels Acts chapter 2 verse 16 to 18. Uh, We were just read before. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And so there's a pouring out of the spirit there. And then, if you look out, uh, if you look at Joel 2 verse 30, and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood, before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. And so, you know, it's a common feature of Bible prophecy um, that some predictions have a partial near fulfillment, followed later by a complete one. And sometimes in the passages of Scripture that occurs, and this is what's happening in, in, in Joel here, you've got a partial fulfilment occurring on the, on, on the day of Pentecost but you've, because of the coming of the Spirit of God, to indwell permanently. But you've got a complete fulfilment which will occur during the tribulation period because all of Israel will be saved. And there will be a pouring out of God's Spirit. And even though the Spirit of God will be removed from, um, uh, from the earth in a sense of uh, his indwelling uh, during that period of seven years, uh, there will be people who come to know Christ according to the gospel will be, and they'll believe the gospel and come to know the Lord. And the Spirit of God will work on people's hearts. And there will be that. But there's even a, a more a wonderful Pouring out of the Spirit of God when the second coming of Christ comes and the Lord comes to earth. And during that time when He lands on the Mount of Olivet and, uh, and He ushers in the millennial reign, there will be a, an enormous and a glorious um, outpouring of the Spirit of God. Uh, during that period of time, in fact, the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, and there will be a glorious outpouring ap- ap- of the Spirit of God during then. But today, there is His 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 Spirit working uh, to convict people of sin, uh, righteousness, and judgment, and then the, God's people to be filled with the Spirit of God to be used by the by God uh, to um, to complete His work on earth. And so, you've got this partial. Uh, pattern you know in Isaiah chapter 9 there's another illustration of this personal and this complete fulfillment Uh, if you look over there in Isaiah chapter 9 and in verses 6 and 7 for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor the mighty God the everlasting father the prince of peace Of the increase of his government and peace shall there be no end. And upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice. From henceforth, even forever, the Zulu, the Lord of hosts, will perform this. It's a fulfillment there at the birth of Christ. There, for under us a child is born in verse 6. But in verse 7, his government shall be upon his shoulder. That one occurred through the millennial reign. When the Lord Jesus Christ sits on the throne of David in Jerusalem. And he rules with an iron rod. See, there's a partial and a complete fulfillment there in a very short amount of space of of the words there within two sentences. And over in Isaiah 61, there's another classic one uh, there as well. Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. And you've got uh, the Spirit of the Lord God, verse 1, Isaiah 61, and the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me uh, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. And, you know, um, the last words of verse 2 refer to an event in the future called the tribulation period and the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus, you know, didn't quote from that complete verse 2 in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. He stopped, if you turn over to there, in Luke chapter 18 uh, Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, you'll see how he stopped short of the, the uh, day of vengeance. He stopped at the proclaim the, the acceptable year of the Lord when he was uh, speaking on in his earthly ministry. And in Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, and it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, and he sat down and he closed the book. Because it wasn't time yet for that tribulation time to come. It wasn't time for the day of the vengeance of my God. You see, there's a partial fulfilment, and then there's a complete fulfilment later. And so that's a, a pattern in Scripture. And um, some uh, of uh, the charismatics particularly tried to spiritualize Joel 2:23 and Joel 2:28, uh, and because there's a reference there to the former rain and the latter rain. Uh, in verse 23 of Joel chapter 2, verse 23 it talks about the former rain and the latter rain. And they say the former reign is Pentecost and the latter reign is the uh, outpouring of the Spirit of God in the church age. But the former and latter reign have nothing to do with Pentecost, have nothing to do with the 21st century, have nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. Or the Holy Spirit, because the context of Joel chapters 2 and chapter 3 is the tribulation period and the millennial kingdom. It's talking about a future time. And the outpouring of the Spirit of God was a partial fulfilment on what God will do after the church is called away. In the clouds... And the tribulation of millennial kingdom, just as Isaiah eleven nine says, the earth shall be filled uh, with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. So there'll be a glorious time of God's outpouring of His Spirit. And today, God is uh, pouring His Spirit into people when they come to know Him as a Savior, and when they control their lives, they fill Him with His. He fills us with His Spirit, controls our lives, and uses to His glory. And that's the uh, the teaching here. And so we look forward. Uh, to be used of God in this day and age and to be caught away uh, with the clouds, uh, to be ever with the Lord. And then the Spirit of God will come in 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 a way and manifest himself to this earth and will usher in that glorious millennial reign. And all Israel at the end of the tribulation period will be saved. All those who survive, every one of them who survive that tribulation will get saved. Praise God so it's a word of explanation isn't it and then let's turn over back to Acts chapter 2 and verse 22 and we'll look at another word there's a word of explanation this is what those verses mean this is what the event occurs this is what is happening on the day of Pentecost and there's also a word about this Messiah that I'm going to preach about you men of Israel i the one that you know Verse 22, you men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God, among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God have raised up, having loosed the pains of death, death because it was not possible that he should be held of it. Peter gives three words about Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus is recognized as the Messiah, verse 23. Says, uh, verse 22, ye men of Israel, hear these words Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as yourselves also know. You knew, they knew him. They, 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 they'd seen the Lord. They'd heard. In fact, most people in that city would have either seen the Lord be present when He was on Earth, of course, at that time. And so um, he, he had personally fulfilled those three and a half years with them, and they and, and many had believed that He had risen from the dead. So people were speaking to a crowd. Peter was speaking to a crowd of people here uh, who had witnessed. Uh, the wonders and miracles and signs uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus' miracles and signs proved he was the Messiah. He he was of the tribe of Judah. Um, He was of the family of David. Uh, The Lord Jesus was born of a virgin. Uh, He was born at Bethlehem. He lived and died and arose as prophesied. And so he's saying to the people there, there is no excuse for unbelief here because he walked among you. And today there is no excuse for people either because we have a completed canon of scripture, we have 2,000 years of witness of the church, we have archaeological evidence, they're digging up places in the scriptures that they thought before didn't exist we have personal testimony have changed lives of many people thousands of people and so we as uh, uh, people today are without excuse that the Messiah is a a, a real true and uh, uh, and our li- and the living God and he was the one who came to earth and so as Peter is speaking to the crowd who were aware of that who had a sensitivity in their consciences to that event and so in verse 23 he says being Him being delivered by the determinant counsel and foreknowledge of God, uh, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. And so this is the uh, evidence there of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility in salvation here. Uh, two things um, that have troubled God's people over the centuries have been the fact that uh, about those issues and reconciling them. But God predetermined that His Son would come into the world and die for us on the cross. It was foreordained that He would do that. The crucifixion was, de- was determined before and with the foreknowledge of God, it was part of God's perfect eternal plan. But what God didn't Predetermined though was that some would be saved and some would be predetermined to be lost. The Bible doesn't teach that. God didn't predetermine that men would curse him. He didn't predetermine that, that men would you know, uh, uh, would spit on him. This happened and God knew it would happen but it wasn't preordained. And that's the difference there. It was, it, this was mankind, mankind's doing. God knew it. The act of crucifying the Prince of Life was an act of man's free will, and this act is human responsibility and action. And God knew before the event that man acted and is as a result uh, guilty. And we uh, we we know according to Acts three seventeen and one Corinthians chapter two verse eight that those who crucified Jesus didn't fully understand who the person really was. In fact, they did it out of ignorance. So we know there that Jesus uh, was was recognised as the Messiah. He was rejected as the Messiah. And he's a resurrected Messiah in verse 24, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held from it. From one point of view, the crucifixion of Jesus was a terrible crime. In verse 23, they've crucified him, they've slain him. But from another glorious point of view, it was a wonderful victory, wasn't it? Notice these words, that, uh, you can't help but come across the words, it was not possible. That's what agnostics and, and atheists say. Uh, the resurrection, it's not possible, it's contrary to nature, Uh, it it defies natural laws Uh, it it never happened it's only a myth propagated by the Jews but that's unbelief that's what unbelief says but have have you ever noticed that in a very different and in an opposite way God's saying the same thing it's just not possible it's just not possible for God Almighty to not raise from the dead It's just not possible that our Savior would, would, would make himself in flesh, come to this earth, be born in a virgin, live a perfect sinless life, die on a cross of Calvary and be risen from the dead. It's not, it's not possible that he could not be risen because he's a, sinless, he's a sinless son of God. Oh, yes, and in his humanity, his flesh was uh, and his body died, but in his deity, he's eternal God, which could never die. You see, he was a, he's a glorious God. And we sing that hymn, he lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. And he walks with me and he talks with me along life's narrow way. And he lives salvation to implore. And, and we thank our God for his, the reality of the victorious risen saviour. Physical death without decay. It's not possible that our saviour could not rise from the dead. One Peter two twenty four says we turn over to there. One Peter two twenty four says who his own self bare our sins in his body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed and after taking sin upon himself he rose from the dead in his resurrected body leaving sin on the cross and buried in the grave what a message we have what a message we have to preach to the world a risen sinless savior who rose from the shackles of sin listen to these glorious verses about the resurrection i am he that liveth and was dead revelation 1:18 and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. 2 Corinthians 4.14 Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus, and shall present us with you. 1 Corinthians 6.14 And God hath both raised up the Lord, and will also raise up us by his own power. Romans 8.11 both the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies uh, by his spirit that dwelleth. 1 Peter 1.21 Who by him do believe in God, they raised up him from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. It was impossible that Jesus could be held back from the resurrection. And because of Jesus, it's impossible that our soul and spirit will one day immediately at the moment of our death be risen into the presence of God Almighty. It's impossible that that can't happen because our God has risen. And if we die before the rapture of his bride, our bodies, though decaying to nothing, will Christ raise up and rematerialise in a miracle because the miracle working God and join again with our spirits to form an incorruptible body. Is the resurrection our hope this morning? Amen. Amen. Salvation is such a simple thing. Repent and believe. At the times of his ignorance to God went up and now commanded all men everywhere to repent. And they went out and preached that men should repent. I tell you, Nay! but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Salvation is a two-sided coin, isn't it? It's repentance and there's faith. If a person wants to receive Christ as their Saviour, then look unto me and be ye saved. All ye ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name; for I am not ashamed of the Gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to every one that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greeks. but the Scripture hath rec- concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Do we know the Lord? Are rejoicing in a great salvation? He is coming again. We have a wonderful resurrected Lord. That was the message of Pentecost that we'll continue on this afternoon. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for the miracle of Pentecost. Lord, we thank you, Father, for the miracle of the resurrection. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for it was a great miracle. And the greatest miracle was the salvation of a soul that comes to Christ and knows him who is eternal. And, Father, work in our hearts. We rejoice that we have a glorious resurrected Saviour who could not stay in the grave. It's impossible. It was not possible. And, Father, we have a God that says it is not, it is impossible, uh, Lord, for anything else other than for the glorification of our Saviour. He is a glorious God. Lord, we praise you that your resurrected power indwells every child of God. And Father, we ask, Lord, that you would be magnified and glorified amongst us and that we will serve our risen Saviour because he's in the world today. He lives in our hearts and we rejoice at his presence. And we give you the thanks now on this 45th anniversary. In Jesus' name, amen.